Welcome to another episode of the Find Your Best Future podcast. Uh, going as studying somewhere has uh, a lot of benefits. Uh, many of them are academic, um, some of them are social. Uh, we're going to be looking today at something that for many people uh, can be life-changing. It can indeed, Neil. In fact, we are going to look at how people can gain a new nationality. Yes, indeed. And, and for those of us who are privileged enough to be born with a, I think they're called Category 1 or passport, i.e. passports that allow you access to a whole range of countries. We don't necessarily need to think about this, but for many people, gaining nationality opens doors that, that aren't normally open to. That's very true. Although, I mean, you and I are British citizens and recently we had something called Brexit and that was something of a wake-up call for us because suddenly we didn't have those same rights across the EU countries as we had previously enjoyed. Indeed. And uh, I think it focused many people's minds, my, my own included, around uh, uh, how important uh, uh, that piece of uh, paper or that little booklet or your passport is when it comes to uh, getting access to opportunities, be that in education or work or a whole range of areas. So we're going to uh, take a quick overview today. Obviously, it's a big area and, and we're not mm. specialists in any way um, around uh, this, but uh, I think it's really important that we um, discuss this uh, with each other. So let's get going. Obviously, gaining nationality is complicated, isn't it? It certainly is. And as you indicated just now, we can't go into all the details of each country's naturalization process. There's sort of dozens or hundreds of paragraphs of legal speak to read. However, we are setting out here to provide you with a framework of ideas so you can go exactly. away and do further research. And we're going to flag exactly. up a few ideas for you here. Okay, so let's give us a sort of big picture. I guess the first thing is that some nationalities allow dual nationality or even more and others don't, which means that you have to give up your passport if you, if you obtain another one. And, uh, you know, varies enormously, doesn't it? Country to country. It does. I mean, I mentioned just now that this matter of, of the UK leaving the European Union, Brexit. And so I was faced with the problem because I live in a EU country. So I then decided to shop around and get myself a second nationality. Happily, the UK is one of those countries that allows dual citizenship. And, and so does Germany, which is the country I also have citizenship from. Right. Uh, but that's not always the case. And so you, you, you may well find yourself in the position where you have to give up your original passport. Original and I think that's a good starting point, isn't it? To yes, understand it is. whether you come from a country that allows you to have two or more nationalities or whether you don't. And there's a gray area in there as well, isn't there? But fundamentally, there are two types of countries, one that allow it and one that don't. That's very true. And you need to obviously check up on that and ask yourself the question, are you prepared to give up your current nationality? Yes. Um, and it's a big emotional thing as well. You know, it is. Yeah. You know, people define themselves as one thing or another. So it's a big step, but you know, for many people who were born in locations on the earth where you know, there are more challenges than opportunities, maybe it's a, a really strong option. The regulations are, as you mentioned earlier, very complex around this area, aren't they? Yes. I think my advice initially is don't expect it to be quick. 
there's going to be a lot of bureaucracy to do, a lot of form filling. Uh, and you do need to check, of course, that you actually qualify, meet all the, uh, the uh, qualifying uh, conditions to yeah. get a, a second nationality. And this is really what we're going to be looking at, at least through, through some of the countries which are the more popular destinations for international students to go and study. Right, but, but for many students, uh, this is something that, uh, international students, this should be something that really should be considered because if you are interested in it as a byproduct of, of your studies, uh, you know, it's a huge add-on, isn't it? Very much so. It, um, if you are going to go and study in a country where wages or salaries are high, you might well want to stay on afterwards and work indeed. there and benefit from that. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we, you know, consider this area. I think it's also worth pointing out, Neil, that many countries allow you to stay and work for usually a restricted amount of time, maybe one year, two years, three years, but this does not automatically lead to citizenship. So let's be very Indeed. clear about that. Indeed. And there's, there's a variety of different levels of hurdles on, yeah. on, on this journey. And staying on after university for a year or two is, is the lowest of the hurdles, probably. Um, and then as you move towards uh, uh, gaining nationality, of course, the, the time generally gets longer and the, uh, the bureaucracy uh, gets more complex. Okay, so on our a world tour of countries to gain nationality, where should we start, Jeremy? Well, let's start in Europe, shall we, Neil? Most EU countries are keen to attract well-qualified workers, and they therefore are. they offer time-limited work visas. And we just mentioned after you've finished studying, you can stay on and work for one or two years. It depends on the country, obviously. And so we're going to have a look at four of the countries which are probably the most popular destinations for students going to study in Europe. And where are they? Uh, the UK, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Germany. Okay. All right. And we sort of have to throw out there again, that if you're lucky enough to have an EU passport, as long as you're within the EU, you can work and live pretty much anywhere. Obviously, if you've got a British passport, that is no longer the case, as you mentioned earlier. And before we get back into the, to the detail, you know, I guess it's a question of work permits and nationality. It's different, isn't it? It is, yes. As you mentioned just now, we're going to be talking about how to get a work permit. And there's no guarantee that this is going to lead on to full nationality or citizenship. Right, uh, but indeed. we will be flagging up places where you can go and look to see what the conditions are to become a fully-fledged citizen of each of these countries. Okay. So I worked nine years in Oman. I had a work permit that allowed me to work uh, nine years. But in order to become a citizen, I would have had to have been there for 10 years continuously in order to consider Omani citizenship. And pretty much any country has a process uh, for granting nationality. Some are shorter than others, uh, um, but they're not linked necessarily with the work permit process. So let's zoom in on the UK now. Okay, if you are studying in the UK, you're probably on what's called a tier four student visa. And if you have one of these, you can then stay on and work for two years after graduation, assuming you have a job, of course. Right. Um, and Do you then, need a job to start? 
Yeah, you do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you have to evidence that yes, you're you employed uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, afterwards. Because uh, you, you get something called a post-study work visa in the UK, and obviously you have to have a, a job. Um, and then the so, critical question is what happens when it ends? Well, yes. So anyone that wants to stay longer in the UK will have to apply to transfer visas to what they call a general work visa or skilled work visa. Right. And this will then allow you to extend your stay in the UK. And if okay. your goal is to eventually become a British citizen, then I would suggest that you go and have a look at the government website. It's called gov.uk, that's gov.uk. And there are pages and pages of things you're going to have to read through. Right. But generally speaking, UK is a country that's known as one where gaining nationality is not as challenging as other locations. Is that right? I think that's probably true. Yes. I mean, there, there are lots of different ways that you can qualify. Some of them are based around your family situation or your ancestors came from there or, or how long you've been in, in the UK. It, it's long and complicated. And I suggest that you really need to go and have a look at the government indeed. website. Yeah, indeed. You know, I think the UK's colonial history obviously has a, a huge amount of downsides and negativity attached with it. One of the upsides is that nationality is granted for many different people from many different regions. And so it, it's complex, but there are opportunities there in the UK, aren't there? I think the, the UK is, uh, is in an advantageous position in the sense that it can attract qualified people to come and work there, live there, and eventually become citizens for the very simple reason that and so many people around the world can already speak English. So Indeed. people coming into the UK don't have this added hurdle of learning a new language. Right. And there's another country where English is the mother tongue or one of the mother tongues, and that's Ireland. Yes. In Ireland, if you're doing a third level graduate program, then this is a, a bachelor degree, a, a university course, and then you can stay on in Ireland. Um, but you, again, you're going to have to obviously get a job and then you can later on become or apply to become an Irish citizen. And again, you need to look at the Irish website, government website is called irishimmigration.ie. Right. And Ireland easy or difficult, would you say, in general terms? Reasonably easy, but easy is only a relative term. Please don't think you can just turn up and fill out a form and become a citizen. Nowhere is that easy. We're talking how many years roughly across the board is it? We're talking four, five, six years, aren't we? Maybe I'm, more. I would say that's an absolute minimum in most indeed. countries. It's longer. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And, and you, you certainly for, for many countries, you're looking at eight and nine years yes. uh, before you get full nationality. Uh, um, so you have to be in there for the long haul, I think, uh, uh, is, uh, is certainly the case. The next place, uh, that, um, actually is quite interesting is where you live, uh, for at least some of your time, which is Germany, isn't it? Yes. Germany, again, like most countries, it has a list of things that you have to do or boxes you have to tick before you can become a citizen. Right. And in Germany, you have to be legally in the country for at least eight years. In a and block, I think, is yeah. the other thing. Uh, Continuously. Uh, I missed out on German citizenship because although I've lived in Germany for more than eight years, it wasn't in one piece. Mm, yeah. 
yeah, it has to be continuous. And then you also have to have the residence permit, you know, right to stay, indefinite sure. right to stay in Germany, which you would need if you're going to be there for eight years. Indeed. And then you have to be able to support yourself, i.e. not living on social welfare benefits. You have to pass a German language exam. It's either B1 or B2. Usually B1 is sufficient, although right. um, I, ha I have heard that they want to up that to B2 level. Then you have to pass a naturalization test or Einbürgerung test, as it's called in German. This is a test that I had to do. It's actually very simple. You can practice online and the questions are by no means difficult, but you must not have been convicted of any criminal offense. And you have to accept the German basic law or Grundgesetz, which means the German constitution. In other right. words, you have to okay. buy into the law and value of the country. But you do have to give up your previous nationality, unless you are an EU citizen or a Swiss citizen, in which case you're right. allowed to keep your original nationality. And in Germany, there's a, a again, a, a sort of gray areas as well. You know, obviously you're part of that gray area in terms of the Brexit transition, you were allowed to keep both. And I know many Turkish citizens quietly have two passports, even though formally that isn't the case, but it, it's certainly a, a long process, right? Eight years. It, it is, um, yes. And do they include your study years or are they? Um, yes, it, yeah, it does. Yeah. So if you were doing, let's think it through in Germany, you did, say you did a three-year degree and you did two years of master's, you're already on five, five years, yeah? So three years of work, and theoretically, you could start the process of applying. Yes, you could. But remember, you will have to learn German. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But yes. B1 level is... It's, it's manageable. It's not horrific, is it? I mean, if you move into no. C1 or C2... Um, you're C1 really is, is uh, pretty high. It, it is, <laughs> it is. And C1 is challenging. But uh, B1, most people who lived for for the, a number of years in Germany should be able to manage that. I would like to say that I have seen some websites and documents that demand B2 level. It, it seems to be a little bit unclear whether it's B1 or B2. Yes, indeed. I think, yeah. I think you're right there. So, you know, studying, especially if you're thinking of doing a master's or even a term, and Germany is a good location for pursuing higher education, could be that you do your eight years and then become German and you're still a student. It's possible, yeah. And don't forget, it's, Germany is free. There's no tuition fees. Uh, indeed, that's where I was going yeah, uh, at yeah. one of our previous podcasts. And yeah. so maybe that is an option if you're really smart and want to become, you know, really an academic, certainly a route. What's the situation like in the Netherlands? Well, of course, the Netherlands is a very popular destination for international students. There's a huge number of courses at bachelor level taught in English. Once you finish, you can stay on, on a, a work visa. This is called, the, you, you have one year, basically, they call it a search year or Zeukjahr in Dutch. Okay. And so you can be looking for a job. But there is also a five-year permit or a work permit. And this is for highly skilled people, you know, for, because there are certain jobs where there's clearly a shortage of skilled workers, skilled labor. Right. Um, and this would allow you to stay longer. Okay. And then Dutch citizenship. Yeah, you have to be in the Netherlands for at least five years. But again, I would suggest you go and have a look at the website called government.nl. Right, but if you, you were, again, if you did a three-year bachelor's and, and a two-year master's, that five years adds up if they count. And you need to 
the devil is in the details. Just uh, very much so. Yes, I would absolutely urge you to go and have a look at the government websites because Great. what we are recording here today may change by the time you come to listen to this. And, and uh, how long is a piece of string? Is, is applies here, doesn't it? So in Europe, a mixed picture, but certainly not unfriendly to people becoming, you know, nationals. Yes, I think it's really a question of, of time and patience and uh, learning the local language, uh, getting a job and doing a lot of paperwork. Indeed. So let's move across some, uh, to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, something the English people call the pond. Uh, let's go to, uh, to, to America now, to the USA. Yes. Well, most students are in the USA on the F1 student visa, but this means that you will be required to leave the United States within 60 days of graduating. However, if you wish to extend your stay, there are options. And the first option is called OPT or optional practical training. And this it means you need. You can extend your F1 visa and stay in the United States to gain work experience. And this is valid for 12 months. Or another option is the H1B speciality occupations. This visa is for people working in a specific area of industry where there's a demand for specific skills and it's valid for three years and may be extended for a further three years. Okay. Now gaining American U.S. citizenship is famously complex and challenging and involves green cards. And there's even a lottery, I think, and all sorts of uh, strange things. Obviously not something we're going to be covering. There is a pretty good website though, isn't there? There is. Yes. USA.gov. That's the website you need to go to. Indeed. And, uh, I think uh, from our perspective, that's where we probably should leave the conversation. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, it is famously complex and challenging to make that transition and really depends on where you come from, who you are and a whole range of factors. So I think uh, good luck on that one. If you're interested and probably need advice, specialist advice. Uh, Very much so. That transition. Yes. Um, is it different in Australia? Australia, yes. Every country is, of course, different. But in Australia, there are different temporary graduate work visas available depending on which one you apply for, your nationality. You may be able to work in Australia for between one and five years. Right. Okay. And so, and Australia is at least, you know, conceptually a country that is focused around immigration, uh, which means I guess it's pretty clear process to how you become Australian. Yeah. The advice is the same, is it? Yes. Go to the website called homeaffairs.gov.au and you can read all the details of how to become an Australian citizen. I should point out that New Zealanders can go and work and study in Australia. They have a reciprocal agreement between those two countries. And I think recently, just in the last week or two, there was an announcement made that the relationship between New Zealand and Australia has been made stronger and that New Zealand yes. has basically become Australians uh, and vice versa relatively, incredibly simply, because the two countries do share an awful lot of economic. Yes, they do. And of course, they're both in the same neck of the woods. I know that it's several hundred miles from the east coast of Australia to New Zealand, but nevertheless, when you look at the, the globe of the world, the two countries are close in all respects. Indeed. And I'm, you know, I think last on our list was, was Canada. And I'm obviously sitting here in Vancouver at the moment. Canada 
good news story, I guess, for people who are thinking about an additional or a placement nationality. Very good news, I would say. You can work in Canada for three years after graduating. You just have to apply for a postgraduate work permit, PGWP. And the process towards becoming a permanent resident and then a Canadian citizen is relatively transparent and clear, isn't it, in Canada? It is, yeah. If you go to the website called canada.ca, you can see the details there. But as a little tip, you might want to consider immigration. That's a Jeremy Chop tip. Yeah. Jeremy Chopped so, Yes. You might want to consider immigrating into a particular Canadian province. Indeed. Because some of the provinces are actively looking to encourage people to go there, like Newfoundland, Labrador, for example, because they have a need for people, for skilled workers. So That's it's because worth, they're incredibly cold places. No, I'm joking. Um, I wasn't going to say that, is, Neil. <laughs> it really is a, a, a top tip because the immigration rules in Canada differ from province to province and and you know, Quebec is very different to BC. Newfoundland, Labrador and, and the other provinces may well offer access to gaining nationality in a much quicker way. Yes, because if you are from a French-speaking country, you definitely need to look at the regulations for Quebec province and you'll find it's, it's easier, uh, more, more immigrant-friendly, let's say, uh, for you to apply into Quebec. Indeed. And I know that, you know, I was uh, in Montreal airport a while back and, and the train, uh, the plane was delayed through, you know, minus 37 degrees and snowstorm. <laughs> and I met a lot of Lebanese people who uh, are obviously French speakers who have emigrated to Quebec. I don't know whether it was easier for them to, but obviously a French speaking English, so there's a lot of alignment there. Um, so Canada, certainly a place you should consider. And it really is important that you consider, if you really are interested in becoming Canadian, you consider it before you apply for university, because often spending time at a uh, university in Newfoundland will help you on that road. Yes, I think you, you, you really need to do your homework on this one and have a look through the Canadian government website, and then you'll have a much clearer picture of what the possibilities are. But it, it's yeah. certainly a very attractive option. But thanks for that, Jeremy. I think the, the main message here is probably start earlier. If you're a mum or a dad listening, or if you're a student who's thinking about option, you know, think about these things before you start your applications, if they're important to you. Because obviously, as we mentioned, for example, studying in Germany, that can shortcut your application for nationality later on. Is that right? And of course, take a look at the websites because they're changing all the time and make sure that you get the right kind of advice. Yes, indeed. Have a look at the websites and figure out which country you would like to go and study in and possibly eventually become a citizen of, and then figure out how it all works by looking at the government websites. Now, I think there's one more thing that we can add, which is, you know, it's not just about you uh, as a student. It can often uh, impact, you know, your parents and your children because most countries, parents and children to have access as well, if you're a national to that country. And so it's one of those larger decisions. I personally know quite a few families who've invested in one location or another with the plan of mum and dad retiring there eventually, or, you know, simply passing on a different passport to your children to the one that you have. 
I think the other thing to say is that some countries have different regulations depending on where you come from. For instance, if you're from Venezuela, um, you can access Can Canadian nationality or the citizenship much quicker. And right now, if you're Ukrainian across the globe, the Ukrainians are being welcomed by a variety of different countries. And so complex area, but nevertheless, one that you, know, you should consider. Is that right? It is right, Neil. It's a very complex area. And I think you need to invest a lot of time looking at the government websites and realizing what the opportunities are and what you need to do to achieve those opportunities. Right. And another thing that, uh, Jeremy, you spend a lot of time considering is, is what you're going to be eating tonight. You know, we talk a lot about it. It's, it's uh, an important consideration. Uh, what do you want today? I'm looking in your face right now and thinking, oh, I don't know. Pizza tweets. Oh, no, not pizza. Well, I think sushi. You must be a mind reader, Neil. Do, do, do I have sort of sushi stamped across my face? Uh, yes, you do. That's exactly do. what I'm doing this evening. So you're heading off for some sushi? I am indeed. What do you like? Uh, is it the, the tuna and salmon or is it the, uh, the, well, the cucumber and avocado? Where are you? Where are you heading generally? Well, I have a, a wonderful little Chinese place just around the corner for where I live. And they obviously know me because I'm a regular and because I can greet them in Chinese and thank them as well. In case okay. you think, in case you're thinking I can speak Chinese or Mandarin, no, I know three words, which one of my students <laughs> taught me, but those three words come in very useful when I go and get my sushi. And I tend to always order the same thing. So I don't eat. Which is? Well, six sushi and three maki of different okay. types. Yeah. Of different yeah. types. Huh? Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty good. Mi so, a mix. Enjoy. But don't worry. The lady there, she knows what, what I like and she's very good and she makes them for me. And, yeah. Enjoy, all, all Jeremy. Uh, until yeah. the next time. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast.